People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. Fine Music Radio, and this is Rodney Trojan, welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. Now, in the studio with me is arguably one of South Africa's best performers, songwriters, who's released 22 albums of his own work. And I'm talking about Cooney de Villiers, who's received so many awards for his writing and music that if I were to list him here, <laughs> there would be no time for the interview. And also, Cooney was born and raised in Bloemfontein, where he completed his schooling and did his postgraduate education, then lectured media and communication sciences at the University of the Free State, and then concentrated on working in the media as an announcer, program manager, marketing manager for several radio stations. And he advanced his studies in marketing. He was inter alia manager public affairs for one of South Africa's biggest gold mining giants. And as a television presenter, you may know that he anchored the CakeNet flagship magazine program on DSTV, Quella, for 17 years. And... Um, Kuni, it's good to have you here in good it's old fantastic. radio, as you said. <laughs> and, and now I play the piano for, for my living, which well, is great. play the piano is a bit of an understatement, let's face it. But just as you were coming in here and I said, mm. are you still in radio? You did say how much you love radio. I love radio. I've worked across the board in most media. And I must tell you, Rodney, just being in a studio, it's like <laughs> coming home. I love radio. It's intimate, it's warm. It's if you immediate. Get, it's immediate, yes. and the pictures are better than television. <laughs> Theatre of the mind. <laughs> Theatre of the mind, absolutely. You know what's interesting? You said you did Quella for 17 years, and I've just completed doing the breakfast show here for 17 mm-hmm. years. And 17 years is a very long run on a program. But it you is. must have enjoyed it hugely. I kept, kept it. going. I, w- I was lucky. I worked with a fantastic team mm-hmm. and a f- wonderful crew year on year on year and that makes a big difference and um and then of course the viewers you know you're lucky if it works and i was very blessed it is indeed a very long time in fact um there are very few people who have that kind of lifespan in in the media so i feel very blessed in television television, yeah Yeah. Yeah. is it still going it's still going and you're Uh, still doing it no i'm not doing it anymore i had a youngster take over who's very good at his job (laughs) and uh, you know there comes a point where you have more wrinkles than the furniture and then you have to move on (laughs) (laughs) but you must have i mean you said the team you worked with and all that but also the guests you had the most amazing array of guests oh it is that's why i love the media i mean you meet incredible people and over the years i've worked across a spectrum of of programs and and i had wonderful opportunities to do uh, things and meet people i climbed uh Cape Point Mountain with Sir Edmund Hillary. He was was in advanced years and he walked with a walking stick, but there we went. And, you know, at the end of a day like that, you just think, how blessed can you be? Mm. And uh, met incredible people and uh, then they send you a little check at the end of the month for doing all of that. Yes, you paid for what (laughs) you All the suffering. (laughs) All the suffering, indeed. Um, But, Quinny, you started, uh, I read here you, okay, you were born in Bloemfontein Mm -hmm. and you started in radio when you were, you must have been really quite young. I was very young. I completed my studies 
and uh, then sort of fell into radio. I've always had a fascination with it. I remember as a, as a very young child, I used to sit and scream at the radio because I thought they could hear me. And I thought, this <laughs> is this magical thing. There's a little box with people with inside, people inside. Yes, and they yes. talk to me alone. And that is the magic of radio. So I, I fell into it, and I'm very blessed to have you been able to do it. You just hit a nail on the head there. Mm. That I was taught when I was a young broadcaster in Durban mm. Talk into the microphone as they're talking to one person, one person sitting opposite you who might be very slightly deaf, mm. so articulate nicely, mm. but don't talk to a crowd. You're talking to a person, and this is what makes the radio it's magical. It's the golden rule. It is the golden, mm. golden rule. One person and one person only. And so television must be so different psychologically because you know you're on stage in a sense in television you same lights. principle same principle if you allow yourself to think of the millions of people watching mm. you won't get through it i mean i i have stage fright so i have you, to re i really do and i have to work at it and it's that old thing you know just just speak to one person at a time mm -hmm. and think that your mom's watching yes exactly and uh, so it's the same principle yeah they're also very critical like your mom yes who would uh, be so you you hope uh, you survive yes <laughs> <laughs> but that was in cape town wasn't it you started off in cape started town. off in cape i i did a stint in johannesburg and then i spent several years in cape town in at Radio, the sabc at the sabc in seapoint which is fantastic it's the one place where you can go to the office with your sunglasses because you'll know and the sun <laughs> comes off the yes, sea yes. and uh, it was wonderful wonderful years um it was it was pre-commercial broadcasting mm. uh, years in South Africa so we had vast audiences because there was the one channel and you worked for that and you had these vast audiences there was which, no television. I mean if there was no television and then television came and it sort of lived side by side mm -hmm. and then later on I worked uh, worked in Johannesburg uh, most of the work for me was there uh, where are you based now where's, I'm where's based home? in Johannesburg are you in Johannesburg yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're down here to do a play, which has just come to an end. Mm -hmm. But we're going to talk about that in a moment. But I want to see what you're going to choose for your first piece of music. A Prayer for Peace from the album Gifts of the Season. Dave Coz, mm -hmm. who's played a part in your life. Absolutely. Uh, Dave Coz is probably the best known, uh, shall we say, commercial fusion jazz saxophonist in the world. Very well known and a brilliant, brilliant instrumentalist. Um, but people can relax. We're not going to do fusion jazz in the program. <laughs> okay. um, we get anything th that on scares this people. Yes. Um, but this is a beautiful sort of a, a one-off track that he did. We met years and years ago, and he played on three of my albums. I was very blessed in that sense as well. And a dear friend of mine is Yakunel Maton, the Cape Town musician. And Dave met Yakunel in the studio working with me. And Yakunel is an exceptional talent. And so uh, it was about three years ago he asked her to do this track for a Christmas uh, album. And it has the sound of a Kaddish. It's like, it's a beautiful, simple instrumental track. Beautifully played. Only two people on it. And that's Yakunel Maton from Cape Town. All the keyboard tracks and the arrangements were done here sent to Los Angeles. Dave then did the track and the saxophone where it was mixed and mastered. And I just think it's a little gem. So, you know, if you're not into jazz, it's not jazz. It's just a beautiful, heartfelt prayer for peace. And that's probably something we need in the times we live very much at the moment.
you gave that track a lovely introduction, Quinny, and I think the listeners will agree with you. It's beautiful. Mm. A Prayer for Peace from the album Gifts of the Season, Dave Cos there. And who was he playing with, the Cape Town person? Yakunel Maton. Yakunel Maton. She's in Los Angeles now. Um, and they stole her from us, and uh, it's a great loss for South Africa, but I think it's uh, it's a win for America. You know, I want to talk to you about the play that you've just done, but now I just want to find out more about you as a musician. Mm-hmm. We discussed how you wanted to get into radio, and you became mm-hmm. a broadcaster, producer, program manager. But where did music come from? My mother was a music teacher, so I grew up and there was always music in the house and always classical music in the house. So I remember as a a small tyke, I used to play with my dinky toys. Uh, I don't think anybody remembers Dinky Toys. I, I do. I had a collection. Weren't they, weren't they fantastic? <laughs> we all had a collection. Why did we? Th- where did they go? They've become very valuable. I know. Where did we throw ours out? Why did we throw ours out? Thank anyway. you for reminding me of that <laughs> loss of income. But uh, I used to play with Dinky Toys under under the piano, and I can vaguely recall my parents tell me I was about three or four when I could reach the keyboard. And I can remember something of the sensation of pressing a note and the the response was a sound Mm. and pressing another note and it was a different sound. And that was it. You know, I just got hooked. And so I don't know where it started. It's always been part of my life. And then I did my formal exams and played the UNISA exams, which I absolutely hated. And my mother said, you will thank (laughs) me one day. And she's not here anymore. But mother, if you're listening, you were right. You see, <laughs> I admit it. She was right. So you know, it it really helps in in contemporary music and the the work that I do mainly. Um, at least you know how to modulate and get from one key mm. to another one. So I've, I'm grateful that I did that. Pain and all for Unisa and yep. um, Kunyu. Then when did the compositional side rear its head? Always been there. I have a good ear. I have a very lazy eye. So I've always. I made up little things. Uh, composing is, is a very grand word for what I did. I made up little things. And I recalled playing my exams, and then you have to sight read, and the examiner sits in the room, and I'd start off and I'd play the two, first two bars. Reading off the Reading off the page. And yeah. I, then I'd see the pattern of the notes, and I'd just make it up, the rest of it. And I recall, I think it was intermediate or something, um, there was this long pause when I finished, and he said that was not what was written on the paper at all, but it was very pretty. <laughs> and How he patronizing of him. He I passed th- you. He passed me. Yes, he did. Okay. He said, you have to work hard at that. And that's what you've done. So, I tried. <laughs> so these 22 albums I mentioned, mm-hmm. it says of your own work. Yes. That's a lot of albums. I suppose so, but I'm not young. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's not go there, Queenie. <laughs> but so how would you describe your style? What what sort of music do you write? Oh, goodness. I think it's probably classically inspired. Yeah. yeah you yeah. never get rid of that. It's, uh, no, it's, if you've it's probably not a bad trained, thing, yes, you know? yes. Um, but it's, it's uh, I suppose, commercial music. I've been influenced, I think, by contemporary pop music, mm-hmm. uh, the likes of someone like Billy Joel. Oh, yes. Who I think is absolutely incredible. I mean, as a lyricist, as a musician, as a classical musician, as a pop musician. So I grew up with that. And I recall uh, being very young and, and sort of, I, I was never the rugby jock. I played the piano, which mm. sort of makes you a little bit of the outsider. 
And then people came along like Elton John, and he looked like the backside of a bus. He and still I does. Felt I'd, and I'd, so do I. And I thought, but yes, this guy, and he creates absolute magic. It's mm. not about what you look like or what you do on the rugby field. It's, but if you can weave that kind of magic, mm-hmm. there might be something in it. And I recall just listening to, um, I always listen to classical music, and I, I, I love jazz as well. And that's where, you know, I used to listen to Elton John and Billy Joel and, and early pop, which was still melodic mm-hmm. and was not made by machines. <laughs> and uh, that's probably where it came from. But Billy Joel, and I think you've chosen one of Billy Joel's I did, pieces indeed, uh, from his indeed. classical album. Yes. Billy Joel stopped making commercial music. And then he made, wrote an incredible album of classical piano pieces. In fact, he's not the, the pianist. And um, it's such fun because it touches on all kinds of styles. There's mm-hmm. uh, romantic compositions and there's Baroque compositions. And it's a wonderful spoiler alert for, for dinners. You know, if pe- people come r- along and they, they love classical music, yes. just say, I want to play you a little something and then play, let's say, one of the Baroque things. And they say, it's definitely Baroque. I don't quite recognize it. What is it? One one of the lesser Bachs. And it's not. It's Billy Joel. It's the most incredible album. Can we change the order? Because we're talking here, and I know you've got a track off this album. Yes, I do. Can we take that now while we're talking about Billy Joel? Absolutely. The the pianist is... um, is a Korean pianist, if I'm not mistaken, Hyung Ki Yu. I hope you forgive me. Um, and the album is called Fantasies and Delusions, Classical Compositions for the Piano. And this is a Billy Joel composition, believe it or not. It's called Waltz Number no. 3 for Lola. <laughs>
That's the music of Billy Joel. I almost want to say, Connie, the pop singer, which to an extent he was, but he was a fine musician as he we heard there. He was just such a great pop singer and writer. I mean, if you, if you analyze his compositions, they're structured like classical music, you know? Mm-hmm. The, the devices he uses, the, the key changes, the, you know, structurally it's classical music. Yeah. Yeah. With a great rhythm section behind it, loud <laughs> well, exactly. as it should be. <laughs> Except on this album, which we've just heard, Hyung Ki Ju was the pianist yes. there, and we've just heard the waltz number three for Lola by Billy Joel. It was another choice, the second choice of my guest on People of Note this week, Kuni De Villiers, as I've said, known as one of South Africa's foremost performer-songwriters. 22 albums of his own work just as a matter of interest mm. have you ever acted i am the world's most useless actor i have a great respect for actors because i don't <laughs> know how they do it i was at university and then there was a staging of romeo and juliet so i did the music for that because it was a student production and i was available and incredibly cheap in fact i was free so i did the music <laughs> for that and they said well you are here and there was a little role, a cameo role of somebody walks on, says one line and then goes off. And they said, you are here, so will you do that? And I screwed it up completely. <laughs> no, Queenie, I, I bet cannot you didn't. Act, Rodney, I cannot act to save my life. I can only be myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that, isn't it? But interesting that you say I can only be myself. Mm. Because that ultimately, I think, is what's most important, like Billy Joel and Elton John, two of your I heroes. I think if you create whatever you create, the, it, it needs the biggest element, I think, should be authenticity. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, you've just been on stage, as mm. I said, here in Cape Town with Karoo Suite 2, Kurunachter. Karoo Nights, yep. With um, Dion Mayer. Just tell me, I know you've played to Full Houses, which is fantastic, by the yeah, way. Yeah, we're very and grateful. But what is it? I didn't see it. I'm sorry. I didn't see it. It's a strange mixture. We don't know what it is. Let me answer. That's the truth. Um, We started off about five and a half years ago. The Oatswin Arts Festival Mm -hmm. uh, asked me, commissioned me, say, come up with something, create something. And I've known Dion, uh, people know him as an author. He's been my friend for 40 years. So I called him. Thriller writer. And I said, Dion, we, we both love the Karoo and we both have little houses there. His house is bigger than mine. (laughs) And uh, I said, why don't we create sort of a love letter to the Karoo? We both love the Karoo. And let's take uh, the Four Seasons by Vivaldi as a sort of a template. And then we, you write something about each of the seasons. And I'll write the music around it. And we'll create a stage concept. And then you read it on stage. You present it. And he said, no, 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 I can't do that. I said, you have to do that. And then nothing happened. And about three weeks after that, he called me and said, this is not going to work. It's not going to fly. I said, why? He said, because you do not have four seasons in the Karoo. It's either incredibly hot or incredibly cold. But the people of the Karoo, endless, infinite. And so all the, the stories that he wrote for the production are true stories about real people. I've met many of them, those who are still alive. I met all, all, all those people. Who appear in this production. Who appear in, in the, the production. production. So to try and imagine what it is, I play the music with musicians. I wrote the music and I conceived the 
concept, the stage concept. It's heavily supported by audiovisual material. The Karoo Suite 2 Karoo Nights is, they're all night stories because the sky is so incredible mm. in the Karoo. Mm. So we use material that we sourced from NASA. They were very nice to us and they said you can use it. The real and NASA. The NASA. real NASA, yes, absolutely. Wow. So one of, one of the chapters in, in, in the performance is, for example, the visuals are the Hubble telescopes flight through the clouds of Orion. I think I've got it right now. Wow. Which is, an, it looks like God's screensaver. It's incredible. Mm. And then we were very fortunate also. We met up with the night photographers. I heard from them or saw their work the first time on the cover of National Geographic. Uh, they, they do night photography. And I thought, this is unbelievable. And then I met them and said, would you be prepared to work with Dion and I on this production? They said, certainly. And then subsequently, we did the books as well. So the material is visual material through the lenses of Nat Geo photographers. And then the animation artist, Dick Grobler, who was very well known, he did one of the chapters as well. So it supported its pictures, music, and Dion's incredible stories and mm -hmm. presence on stage. Gosh. And it seems to move people. It and does. it's worked well because there was you had one before, the Karoo Suite. We and did then you one, come with Kanaba uh, We thought we'd give it a bash it's mm. a hybrid formula it's not a play it's not a musical it's just us telling stories thank <laughs> god i don't have to act and um dion tells these stories and people it really worked well and that's why we did the second one and it's hugely successful you say up to now it's working well so we we we're very grateful because we opened at the uh, stellenbosch wurtfies mm -hmm. uh, arts festival at the beginning of march 2020 and it was all sold out and we sold out for the rest of the year and there was interest from France and Holland and I came back to Joburg and I thought this is going to be a good year uh -huh. and three days later they declared the lockdown oh, and for goodness sake. we could never play it again and now after two and a half years the first time that we can actually do the full Monty. Now, when you finished in Cape Town, mm -hmm. um, which you've just done last night, yes. um, where do you go? Do you take it somewhere else? Or is we it taking open a rest at now? the Monte Cassino Theatre, Peter Turing oh, yes, Theatre yes, yes. in, in Johannesburg, and then we play a run of two weeks there as well. Gosh. It must, you must agree, have a lot to do with your two names, Dion Mayer and Cunny de Villiers, on stage together. Um, I don't know. It's time for you to <laughs> boast, Cunny. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. I mean, Dion is incredibly well known. I just try not to fall over and play the right notes right. Um, but but I hear it, you do quite well <laughs> <laughs> I don't know but uh, but it seems that it strikes a chord with people which mm -hmm. which makes us very happy good excellent I'm sorry I missed it you'll have to come back with we'll have to do that absolutely <laughs> oh we're going to have another piece of music and yes. I see here you have chosen Dave Grusin oh yes and one of his very famous pieces from the movie on Golden Pond the main mm, mm, the main mm, theme mm, which has mm, got to be one of the most peace inducing pieces of music it ever. is just one of them I think it's just one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever written mm -hmm. uh, never mind classical contemporary music and for the film um, it, it won the Oscar that's right and it did the music as well the music as well oh. and it was beautifully orchestrated yeah, yeah. but for me Grusin as a solo player and he also comes from a classical background 
it is so exquisite and the thing that really gets to me in, in this solo rendition and version where, where Grusin plays is how he uses silences yes and you'll know as a musician music is not determined by the notes it is determined by the silences around the notes yes and when listeners listen to this just how he teases and you think it's going to snap and then the next note it's absolute perfection
it's one of those pieces of music, Kuni, where you don't want to speak afterwards because of those silences, because of that yeah. magic. Do you agree? It is just, I was magicated when I heard it the first time and nothing's changed. Good. Well, that was on Golden Pond, the main theme, and it was the solo piano version played by the composer, Dave Grusin. Fine Music Radio and my guest is on People of Note this week is Connie de Villiers. We're having fun talking about music and theatre, even though you're not an actor. But you've been on stage such a lot. <laughs> but you know, you said when we were wandering into the studio and mm. settling down, and I said stop talking now because I wanted you to say this in the course of the program, you said you mentioned about COVID arriving just as mm. you got this play ready. And you also mentioned something very interesting, that you feel that COVID has actually changed audiences. I do. But, I do. And you're not talking about the number who attend. You're talking no. about an attitude. The headspace, I the think. Headspace. Is, the heart space, I think, is uh -huh. different. Um, you know, people used to go to theater before COVID, pre-COVID, and they used to go and see, hear, listen to a soloist, see an actor, whatever it might be. And then COVID came and suddenly you couldn't go, you could access the music and you could watch television and see a play or a story. But I think for the first time we realized that the big thing about going to a theater is not seeing the actor or hearing the musician play or whatever it might be. It's sharing the experience. You laugh at the same things. You weep at the same things. You are left breathless. You know, when we're on stage, you can, there's a line and you can hear the entire audience go, oh, we share a common humanity. And I think people really miss that. And what we find now, and across the board, I speak to other people, I think people are more intense. Audiences are more emotional in, in a way. And um, in the past, if you do well, they clap. If you do very well, they get up. And now people cry. They just mm. weep. And you say, are you okay? Why are you crying? They say, I don't know. It was just very beautiful. Thank you. But that is so true. They said that COVID created all sorts of psychological and emotional mm. problems and made us possibly more aware of our emotions, hidden emotions. And mm. you go to a play like that moves you. And it's likely to move you more than it did three I years ago. I do think so, right? That's basically I, what you're I saying. I really do think so. Um, and and people are, I think, more open and uh, more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. That's true. There's a feeling of vulnerability in audiences yeah. that is new to me. You know, just doing a sidetrack to that, you also, apart from your writing and all that, you are quite involved in various forms of charity work and philanthropic work, aren't you? Well, yes, one tries. You know, you have to do what you do. Mm. Um, Give me an example or two. <clears throat> what, what we did, speaking about the Carew Suite that Dion uh, May and I did, um, when we did the first production, the Carew Suite, uh, people said it's very beautiful, and we used Dion's photography as well. Mm. So people said, well, why don't you do a coffee table book, uh, which we then did. And it was a limited edition. Uh, it came out rather nicely, numbered and signed. And we sold those to benefit children with promise, learners, uh, promising learners mm -hmm. in the Karoo, because the economy is shot in the Karoo. I mean, you go to the little township schools, there's nothing there. 
that you don't know. Einstein could be sitting there, the next Einstein. So mm -hmm. we took all that money and we plowed that with the assistance of the Atterbury Trust, plowed that back into the community. Then the lockdown came around that time. We did the second version, the Karoo Suite 2, and then we did a new book called Our Karoo, Ons Karoo. And again, we channeled that uh, money that we made with the assistance of the Atterbury Trust back into the Karoo uh, to help learners with potential. Mm. And we were very blessed. We plowed back 1.5 million rand into the community. My goodness. And our That's first students have now graduated from little towns like Loxton in the Karoo at university. So we feel lucky to have been able to do that. How did you identify these people uh, with promise? Well, uh, what we do, uh, Dion and I don't have the ability to do that. We don't mm. have the knowledge and we don't have the legs and arms. So the Atterbury Trust do exactly that. Oh, they right. find them and they partnered with us and they made it possible because the important thing is if you do something like that, you want to make sure that the money gets to the people who need it. It can't disappear into That's very important, a crooked as we know uh, administrator's pockets or whatever. Right, right. And I think we managed that quite well. But the Atterbury Trust was fantastic in the process, getting the money to help the children who deserve it, the learners who deserve it. Now, these books, are they still available? I think you mentioned limited edition. They're all sold out. The, the first edition <laughs> sold out. You don't sound so surprised. We, <laughs> no. Uh, you know, you, it's, it's not an exact science, Rodney. You think you do the right thing and then you hope it uh, hits the sweet spot mm -hmm. and the second book we did uh, two runs on it and the second run sold out about a month ago so they all sold out so have a reprint the uh, a tricky question then <laughs> the 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 paper prices uh, have doubled over the past two years so we're looking at it. Um, at the moment, it, we're not quite sure if it's financially viable, but um, we might, we might uh, you know. But, but paper, I mean, everything is just so much more expensive. Now. But it sounds such a lovely idea, especially when you spoke about the photographs, NASA and the people and the skies. And, yes, yes. And, you, and Dion, I didn't realize Dion was a photographer. He is a fantastic photographer. He's also a fantastic cook <laughs> and can do everything. And every time I, I, I see him and we have a good old care. In I his say, bigger you know, house. You, you, you're very intimidating because you can do absolutely everything. I can play chopsticks. That's about all I can do. And well, use chopsticks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and use it. Where is your little house in the Karoo? We have a little place in the Klein Karoo the, uh, uh, in Oatswaden. Oh, yes. And Dion is in Loxton. He's in the Groot Karoo, the great Karoo. Is Loxton, I've never heard of Loxton. Is it sort of really in the outback? It is a speck on the map, but if you ever want a little time capsule, mm -hmm. it is the most beautiful little Karoo village. Um, <laughs> It's just gorgeous, um, and you have to go there, Rodney, and you have to have a single malt and watch the sunset. <laughs> single malt, I see. Kuni, uh, <laughs> we're going to have Bobby McFerrin with Yo-Yo Ma and Ave Maria. Tell me about this. I love Bobby McFerrin's work, and most musicians all over the world, they're just staggered when they hear what he can do. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's bag, but he has an exceptional talent to work over, I think it's five octaves, and, and musically, he's, he's, he's a savant. 
And Yo-Yo Ma need I say anything? You know, he can play the cello. He's he managed. plays the cello rather well. Rather well. In <laughs> fact, um, I was thinking about Yo-Yo Ma being in Cape Town now because we flew down to listen to his Kirsten Bosch performance of the Bach uh, cello suites, which yeah. was just one of the most glorious days I've ever had in my life just sitting there and it's it was just so beautiful so a couple of years ago i think it was in 1992 bobby mcferrin and yo-yo ma teamed up and they did an album which was recorded in three days called hush it won all the grammys and it's just solo cello and solo voice everything is generated either by the body um, because McFerrin uses his body as percussion and then he has this incredible vocal talent and what they do they do Ave Maria on their album and you would think that the Bach prelude you know that would be the cello it's, mm. it's, it just stands to reason yes the accompaniment and in a yes, sense yes and the guno, then the voice will sing the legato parts don't turn and it the other way around. They do it the other way around <laughs> just to intimidate all of us who wish that we could play like that say, Connie, you can only use the word extraordinary for that. Isn't that special? <laughs> the Ave Maria special? upside down. Upside down. 
and it sounds so easy. Mm. Only great artists can do that. Bobby McFerrin and Yo-Yo Ma. Mm. Yo-Yo Ma, I'm sure you know, was the cellist. Bobby yes. McFerrin <laughs> did everything Absolutely. else. <laughs> well, that was a, a sort of a revelation. You know, the other thing that came as a revelation to me, mm-hmm. Connie, when I was looking through your millions of awards oh, and things, sir. is that you've written an opera and a ballet. Now, what's that all about? Uh, look, you know, if you create, you sort of create what crosses the table. Um, mm. And uh, let me start with the ballet first, which was a very special journey. There's a lovely lady. Uh, she's a Nama lady. She's actually Nama royalty called Oma Katrina Yeso. And she is the last surviving fluent speaker of the n- ancient Nama language called Ngu. And when she dies, that's it. And it just struck me as as frightening. I mean, you know, Rodney, if you die and suddenly the English language stops. <gasps> it, 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 oh, my. And I saw some interviews with her, and she just struck me as being a beautiful human being. So I flew to Uppington and went to see in the Kalahari and said, can we create your life story as a ballet? And I thought, well, I'll make it up as we go along. And so I leapt through all the hoops. There were quite a couple. (laughs) And then she told me her story in Nama, which was extraordinary. You have all these clicks and clacks. And then transcribed that and created the music around that. And I worked with an extraordinary young choreographer called Kervin Fortain, who was uh, subsequently killed and and he he was murdered and would, tragically at the beginning of lockdown a great great loss for arts in south africa so we created this ballet and we did it as the heritage production for artscape in in cape town in 2017 and it was it just told the story of omar katrina yes so she in in her own words and with the music and with the incredible choreography uh, that Kervin created for the for the ballet company that, that did it. Gosh, it sounds amazing. It was a journey. And that it you, I'm, I'm sure it was a journey. Mm. It must have been. And is she still alive? She's still alive. She's old and she's frail. She's deep into her 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the most extraordinary people I have ever met in my life. It was it was a wonderful journey doing that with with Omar. Is there a recording? Well, I suppose it's something that needs we did, to be we seen. D- we have a record of it. Yes, yeah, it does yeah. exist. And we thought, Rodney, sadly, as I say, uh, that we would create it elsewhere in the world. There was interest from China. There was interest from the Santa Fe Arts Festival in America to play it there because it would translate very easily. And then Kervin uh, sadly died. And, and we he's a great loss. Mm, we miss gosh. him. Yeah. And then there's your opera, Kuni, uh, Maximilian. <laughs> forgive me for not imagining you writing an opera. but Well, it's interesting. <laughs> I, I did and I didn't. A very dear friend, uh, the librettist and writer John Jackson came to me and he said, I love your music. So I've written this entire book of the opera on existing material of yours, which we will now do with the symphony orchestra. And we performed it at the Klagenfurt uh, Summer Festival in Austria. With a full symphony orchestra and chorus, it was my songs, 
John's lyrics, and there it was, the story of Max Millian. <laughs> so we haven't seen it here yet? No, it wasn't performed here. Will it be? I don't know. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you'll know it's so expensive to, of to do, do. do uh, yes. especially an opera from scratch. Mm-hmm. So the funding was available in Austria because it's an Austrian story. So we did it, and I'm glad that it, it did play, but uh, there doesn't seem a possibility to do it in South Africa. Connie, what a life you've led, I must say, <laughs> sitting listening <laughs> to you here. explains my grey hair, right? Oh, no, that's part of your image. And now what? The play is just finished. You're going back to Johannesburg. Is it a few months of relaxation as you come close I, to Christmas? I'm working on a book. I shouldn't even call it a book. I'm writing or trying to write, which I find extremely short format I can do. But, mm-hmm. you know, really working uh, over hundreds of pages, it is tough. So I have to lock myself up and try and finish Is it a that. novel or something more? When it grows up, it will hopefully be a novel. <laughs> it's not there yet. It's okay. sucking its thumb. <laughs> In the cradle of literature. Very much so. Kuni, it's been great talking to you. Thank Kuni you. De it was such really an honor great. to be here. Oh, but now you're going to play out with music by Oscar Peterson, oh, I see. It is, I think, the most beautiful track in all of jazzdom. It's the Oscar Peterson Quartet uh, with the incredible Joe Pass on guitar and Oscar Peterson, obviously. Uh, the two greats in my book, uh, keyboard players, Oscar Peterson and Art Tatum. Mm-hmm. And this was a live recording done in 1987 in Helsinki. And the track is called Love Ballad, B-A-L-L-A-D-E. And it is so elegant and so beautiful. It starts off, it sounds like a Chopin nocturne. And then it builds and builds and then it segues into the band. Just beautiful, exquisite.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. FM.